Well, I know it's been a few decades since we've been in Exodus, um, but turn to Exodus 5. We'll be continuing uh, reading through the story. Uh, just so we can remember what's going on, Moses right, was taken out of Israel. Uh, God called him to Midian, uh, but it was through Moses' own failures. And in Midian, Moses spent uh, a long, long time uh, and he met God at the burning bush where God commanded him to go back to Israel and proclaim God's salvation for Israel, to bring them out of slavery. And so now we pick up as Moses and Aaron uh, seek to go and do what God has told them to do. And so we read in verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 1. We'll read through chapter 6, verse 1. So Exodus 5 uh, through chapter 6, verse 1. This is the word of our God. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest you fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are too many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And the taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work. Your daily task each day is when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday? As in the past. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. And they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me 
For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Since the reading of God's word this morning. Let's pray and seek his spirit to help us to understand uh, rightly what his word says. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the father of lights. In you there is no evil. There is no lie. You can only speak the truth. So as we come before your word, Lord, help us to recognize it as truth, to be willing to uh, submit to its searching gaze, to be stripped, Lord, of all of our self-reliance and trust in ourselves, and help us, Lord, to grow, to trust you more. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So deep down, I think we all believe we have something worth trusting. My guess is uh, all of you uh, trust in one of these three. You trust either in your own abilities uh, or you trust in your own wisdom or maybe you trust in your own righteousness. Uh, but my guess is you probably trust in one of those three. Uh, personally, for me, it's, I, I tend to trust in my own abilities. Right? That deep down, I think that I have what it takes, that my abilities are enough, that I'm, I'm good enough. Um, the reality is that my worst sermons are the ones that I try to do on my own. It never works out well. But here's, here's the real problem. It's not just that self-trust leads uh, to poor results. It's that when we trust ourselves, when we trust our power or our wisdom or our righteousness, what ends up happening is we end up blaming others. Because obviously, when things go wrong, it's not our fault. We're powerful. We're wise. We're righteous. It's not on us. Someone else is to blame. Self-reliance always leads us to blame others. And in our pride, not even God is immune from our judgments. That's where self-reliance leads. So what's the antidote? What's the solution? Exodus 5 tells us. This passage shows that when people trust their own power or their own wisdom or their own piety, it shows what that leads to. And through it, God calls us to trust his strength and not our own. God calls us to trust his strength and not our own. So first, the Lord shows us what happens when we trust our own power. So in verse 1, right, this is fresh off of the, the terrifying experience that Moses just had. He just went through this awful experience where in the middle of the night, God seeks to kill him. And he goes through this process where his wife has to step in and mediate for him and save him. But through that process, right, Moses and Aaron, they go to the people of Israel, and it says that they spoke all the words that the Lord has spoken. They did all the signs And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited them and seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. This is Moses and Aaron's first taste of success 
It's, it's a wonderful example of what happens when you go through that process is they come and they do everything that God says and the people believe and the people worship. Everything seems to be going well. But you can almost taste the confidence in your mouth as Moses and Aaron walk up to Pharaoh. Right? They're fresh off of this success. Everyone's excited and they know that God's going to do amazing things. And they go up to Pharaoh and they say, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh reacts exactly how you'd expect a king to react when some nobodies come in commanding him to let his entire workforce go. He says, well, it's, it's not just how that he refuses. It's not uh, surprising. It's also how Pharaoh refuses. Verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. It's not just that Pharaoh is, is confessing ignorance. Right? He's not saying, well, I don't know who this God is. He's saying that whoever the Lord is, it doesn't matter because he, Pharaoh, has more power and more authority. He doesn't need to obey whoever this God is. He is the judge. He is the one with the power. He is the one with the authority so he does not need to obey, and he will not let Israel go. So you can feel the, the switch in tactic that Moses and Aaron then take. They say, well, that didn't work. Let's try a different approach. Let's plead with Pharaoh. We came with fire and brimstone, so let's try pleading with Pharaoh. So they say, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And they even appeal uh, to some common sense. Right? If you don't let us do this, he might hit us with plague. Or he might kill us. And that would not benefit you, Pharaoh. But even that does not convince him. Pharaoh is not moved. In fact, Pharaoh doubles down. In verse 6, Pharaoh commands all the taskmasters to not just take away straw, which was essential to the brick-making process, but to also require the same amount of bricks. He doubles their work without expecting anything less. This is not just making them work overtime. This is cruel and harsh. This is Pharaoh's punishment. And the way he does it, again, is important. In verse 10, the taskmasters and the foremen go out and distribute Pharaoh's commands, and they say, thus says Pharaoh. That's not a coincidence that Moses and Aaron come and say, thus says the Lord, and Pharaoh says, oh yeah? Well, thus says Pharaoh. He's trusting his power, his authority as king. And where does that lead? Where does it lead when people trust in their own power? It's true. Nowhere. 
But it leads, right, to not security, not confidence. But look at verse 17. Israel's foremen, the people of Israel who are set over the, the rest of the laborers, they come to Pharaoh and they appeal to Pharaoh. How can he expect to double the work and keep the same quota? So they hope to appeal to his sense of reason, his sense of justice. But how does Pharaoh respond? But Pharaoh said, verse 17, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Does that sound like someone who's confident? Like someone who is secure? Or does it sound more like someone who is threatened and afraid and trying desperately to keep control? That's where trusting your own power leads. Spinning out of control. Desperately trying everything you can to keep it. To keep that sense of control in your life. Pharaoh is using all of his power, all of his authority to assert control because he feels powerless. And yet, he still refuses to submit. He refuses to stop trying to use his own power. And if you and I were to be truly honest with ourselves... How do we respond when we, feel, when we feel powerless? How do we respond when we feel out of control? Don't we respond like Pharaoh? Using all of our power and ability to try to gain control back? But what we're really saying when we do that, what we're really saying is, who is the Lord that I should obey him? That's what trusting your own power is doing. Because the solution is not found in your ability. Control does not come from your power. The solution is to abandon your power. Abandon your seek your your trying to control and hold things together and to submit to the Lord. That's the solution. That's what Pharaoh should have done. That's what we need to do as well. But God's not done. Pharaoh is not the only example in this passage of what it looks like to trust yourself. As bad as Pharaoh is, God's own people, the ones that he is coming to save, don't respond any better. Uh, Back in verse 15, The Israelite foremen, they are suffering the brunt of Pharaoh's power trip uh, because they're the overseers. They're the ones that have been put in place over the rest of their people. So they're Israelites. And they are put in place to make sure that the quota gets met. And when the quota is not met, they're the ones who get beaten. They're the managers who suffer the wrath of the boss. And in verse 15... Right, they come and they cry out to Pharaoh. And, and on the surface, this has the appearance of wisdom. 
Right? They come and they cry out to Pharaoh and saying, this is not reasonable. You're not following logic or reason and not even justice. This is not right. So they think maybe Pharaoh will listen. Maybe he'll relent if he just understood the burden that he had put on them. But two things show what the foremen are actually trusting in. The first is that they don't go to God. They go to Pharaoh. Their first instinct is not to go to God. It's to go to Pharaoh and try to reason with him. They truly believe that if they could just convince Pharaoh with their wisdom, if they could just show him by their logic and reasoning and wisdom that this is the wrong path and everything will go back to normal, everything will be fine, the problem will be solved. And the second clue in what they're trusting is that when Pharaoh sends them packing, how do they respond? Verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. The Israelite foremen were not trusting in the Lord. They were trusting their own wisdom. They knew the solution to the problem. And when that didn't work, it must be someone else's fault. And so they curse the very messengers that God sent to save them. That's where trusting your own wisdom leads. It leads you to do what's right in your own eyes, to follow worldly wisdom and to seek to fix your problems by your own understanding. And when your life isn't magically made better, it's someone else's fault. See, the foreman, they think that they understand. They can pierce and see what's good and what's bad. And everyone else needs to get on the same page, including God. But what hasn't occurred to them, because they're blinded by self-reliance, is that as hard as this is, this is the path that God has chosen for them. And it's easy to say that, you know, from the outside looking in. But how do we respond in our own lives? Look at your own life. What happens when you go through suffering? When life doesn't take the turn you expect it to take? When stuff gets bad and hard? Don't you try to fix your problems with your own wisdom, trying to solve them and make them go away? And when that doesn't work, don't you start pointing fingers at others and maybe even pointing fingers at God? It's God's fault that I'm in this mess. Clearly, God has messed up because I'm suffering. But what does God call us to do? God calls us to trust him, especially 
when we don't understand what's going on. God calls us to trust him when we don't know why something is happening. He calls us to abandon our wisdom and our understanding because it won't fix your problems. Instead, he calls us to trust him and to believe that this is for our good, even if we don't know why. But most of all, we need to abandon the idea that God owes us something. Where do we get that idea? Why do we think that God owes us something? I think we get it when we trust in our own piety and in our own righteousness that we believe that if we just do the right things, that God will give us what we want. That if we just follow the commands and, and obey and do this and that and make sure we do everything right and, and piously and righteously, God will give us what we want. Look at verses 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. See, Moses believes that he did everything right. He came and he spoke in the Lord's name. He did the right thing. He spoke in the right name. He checked that box. So why didn't God hold up his end of the bargain? It can't possibly be Moses' fault. He did the right things. He was righteous. He was pious. Why isn't God doing his side? God owes me this. But let's look back at the beginning of the chapter. Did Moses actually do everything right? Remember that Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and they spoke in God's name, but they spoke with fire and fury and, and commands. But they didn't actually use the words that God gave them. God specifically gave Moses words to say to Pharaoh. And it's interesting that the first words they say don't match up. It's after Pharaoh refuses that then they, they switch to what God told them to say. That's when they say what God told them to say. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. That's what God commanded them to say. But they only do it after Pharaoh has already refused. Instead of trusting at the beginning what God had said, Moses and Aaron trusted themselves. And they thought that if they just said it in the right way, if they just used the Lord's name, that everything would magically fall into place. But where does all of that lead? Where does trusting yourself 
and your own righteousness, where does that end up? It ends up in anger, making demands. And in Moses' case, it even ends up in calling God evil. Moses said that what God did was evil. Instead of looking at his own heart, his own life, and saying, here's what I have done wrong, he looks at God and says, you have done wrong. That's what trusting yourself leads to. And now it's God's turn to speak. Everyone else has had their fill. It's God's turn. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. I want you to notice that God does not address Moses' accusations. Moses calls God evil, a liar, and says he has not been faithful. He says God has not held up his end of the bargain. And in the face of all those accusations, the Lord is silent. Instead, he says, now you shall see what I will do. You've seen where Pharaoh's trust in his own power leads. You've seen where the foreman's trust in their own wisdom leads. You've even seen where your own trust in your own righteousness leads. Now you will see what I can do. And notice that it's what God will do for his people. Now you should see what I will do to Pharaoh, and he will still send you out. That's the message of Exodus 5. Only God's strength is sufficient. Your power, your wisdom, your righteousness are worthless. And they only end up in failure. But it is God's strength that is sufficient. It is God who is able and who is powerful and who is wise and who is good. So abandon everything else and trust God. That's the message of Exodus 5. But it's not the final word on the matter. This passage does not share where self-reliance fully and truly ends up. If you want to see what self-reliance actually produces, look at the cross. That's what the very best that humanity had to offer produced. Nailing their creator to the cross. All the power, all the wisdom, all the piety of the world in full display. Killing their God. 
But it's through the cross that God reveals how worthless your power and your wisdom and your righteousness truly are. Because the cross is not just God's attack on the worst that you have to offer. The cross is God's attack on the best that you have to offer. The very best parts of you, the cross says, are worthless and empty. And they will not save you. But it's also on the cross that the Lord says, now you shall see what I will do. Now you shall see what I will do for you. Because if you trust in me, I will save you by my strength. Because self-reliance leads to nailing God to the cross. And then God says, your sins are forgiven. You are not strong enough to save yourself. But God is. And he does. If you want to see visibly what we just heard, look at the supper. Because the supper proclaims that the very best you have to offer is what Jesus gave his body and his blood to die for. And that he did it willingly for you. So the supper is, is, it's not for those who think that they are powerful, who think that they're wise, who think that they're righteous. The supper is for those who know that they are weak and foolish and filthy. But yet they are relying on God's strength and not their own. Amen? Amen. I'd like to invite the elders up uh, to distribute the supper. Our gracious Lord and Savior, you warn in your scriptures not to come to this table in an unworthy manner. We confess that we are so tempted to misunderstand those words, tempted to think that we somehow make ourselves worthy, that we should feel worthy before we come. Such folly. For it's those who believe they deserve to be at your table whom you declare unworthy. The great irony is that the ones who think they belong here don't and those who know they don't belong here are invited in a strange and yet unsurprising way. Our worthiness is found in confessing our unworthiness in knowing that we don't belong, knowing that it is your strength and your strength alone that it is all grace. So we thank you for this meal. We thank you that you invite sinners to come and find salvation. That you allow our eyes to see what you are able to do when we stop trying to fix things and trust you to do it. Grant us, honest, grant us honesty, humility, contrition. Supply us the strength, the wisdom, and the righteousness we need. We praise you and we thank you and ask that you would be glorified even as we come to your table this morning. Amen.